Can we give our students and, and, and their leaders a hand for leading us this morning? Great job. Great job, you guys. That is, uh, that is not an easy thing to do for anybody, for our kids, for the leaders who've been working with them and rehearsing and doing stuff. Just so proud of them. Um, wow. I, uh, I, wasn't ex- I, w- I wasn't thinking about the effect that, that was going to have on me, so I'm kind of like uh, a little broken down here before we, as I get into the message this morning. How beautiful. Brother Jerry, it's good to see you in the youth group this morning. Right where you ought to be. You doing okay this morning? God's good, isn't he? Mm, so good. We started a series uh, a few weeks ago in our City Group Sunday in the Gospel of Mark. And I can't wait to see what God's going to do. He's going to show us his goodness and grace through the life and ministry, uh, death of Jesus. I'm excited to see how he's going to use that in our lives. Of course, we've begun in uh, Mark 1, just in the very first verse, Mark tells us, of course, we know that his source, his eyewitness source is Peter. And he tells us in the very first verse, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? This is the beginning of the gospel. This is great news. This is breaking news that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Then he says, the Son of God. In other words, you get the sense that Mark is kind of saying, buckle up. Get ready for this because this is going to blow your mind what, what he does and what he has done and what it means to you and me. So for the readers in Rome... For the believers in Rome, all the way to us today, buckle up, because God is going to show us an amazing story of this breaking news of the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus, right? So we begin to see him in his story, God takes on flesh, and then the kingdom of God begins to change everything around him. We talked last week about the fact that Jesus has all authority. In his teaching, we see authority. We see authority over demons. We see authority over sickness. Uh, We see authority over and over again. In in, uh, Capernaum, which is where sort of this first setting is in a way, we see he's just kind of eradicating sickness and disease and demonic darkness and influence. It's just sort of moving out through Galilee. Just the, the gospel is making such a difference Uh, in the landscape, literally, that everything is changing. The gospel is present. Jesus has come. Uh, We talked about last week at the fact that Jesus made it really clear he does nothing on his own accord, right? John 5 says, I can do nothing on my own accord, but I only do what I see the Father doing. I join him where he's working. This is what I do. This is what Jesus does. And in so many ways, he's saying it to us a little later, John says in in chapter 15, the same thing. We can do nothing apart from him. To abide in him, to be connected to him, to find our everything, our hope, our strength, our peace in him. And so we even see Jesus, after he has healed people and he's uh, cast so many demons out, uh, he goes to sleep at Peter's house in Capernaum. He's done an amazing work, but he wakes up early in the morning to go spend time with the Father. And we, as we talked about last week, it just kind of blows my mind that here he's exhausted for a long day, from a long day, and before the sun comes up, he gets up to reconnect with the Father. 
So instead of a, a time of, of rest where we might go, I'm sleeping in, I'm taking it easy, Jesus says, no, my rest, my real soul rest is when I'm connected to the Father. And basically saying to us that our rest and our peace and our renewing needs to come from time with Jesus. How often some of us go, I, but really I rest when I go fishing. I rest when I, when I take a nap. I rest at a day off or go on vacation. Jesus says, if you're weary, heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. Because what you really need is soul rest and he's the only one that can give that to us. This morning I want us to continue in our series, and uh, I, I just, this is a, a wonderful text. Like I said, I was going to teach it all last week, and the Lord led me to kind of break it down. So here's the second part of uh, what we were going to talk about last week. We're going to finish up our chapter, Mark 1, 36 through 45, if you have your Bibles. I want to continue today in this world-changing, life-giving, kingdom-coming message and story of Jesus. Let's read this, Mark 1, verse 36. It says, and Simon and those who were with him, of course, that's Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and James and John, they searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him. And kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. But go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began talk, talking freely about it and, to, uh, and spreading the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was in, a des in the desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's, let's pray this morning. Ask that God would open the truths of this word to us. Father, Lord, we just submit to you this truth this morning that, that we've just read. God, we believe that there is meaning and power in every single verse of Scripture that you've given to us. So I pray that you would help us by your Spirit, that you would lead us to all truth. Help us to mine the deepest of meaning out of this for our lives, for our walk with you, our understanding of who you are, how to know you and, and live in you and, and make you known, how to love. God, there's so much here. I pray that we would mine all that we can and you would lead us to this truth. God, I pray that you would increase in this time and that I would decrease. God, that you would help your people to focus on what you want to say to each of us. Spirit of the living God, move in us. And if there's one person here, Lord Jesus, that doesn't know you as their Savior, God, may they, may they seek you now. And may they find you by your grace, Lord, that they may be saved. Father, we love you. We give you this time in Jesus' precious name. And God's people said, amen. So here's Jesus. He's uh, taught in the synagogue. He's gone just a little ways, 40 yards or so from uh, the synagogue in Capernaum to Peter's house. 
Uh, he's healed Peter's mother-in-law. She gets up and starts making some food, which I think is funny and awesome part of the story. Good cook. Jesus said, you need to be healed, right? So she's, she's helping, she's serving, doing the thing that she loves to do. And uh, after, at dark, the sun goes down and Jesus starts healing, casting out demons. Hard evening of work, finally goes to bed, we don't know when, wakes up before the sun comes up. And the disciples wake up. And as they wake up, there may be people already on the doorstep. <laughs> there may be people already beginning to assemble because they want healing too. The word has already gotten out. Jesus is nowhere to be found. I mean, he's the reason we're here. He's the one that brought us together. What, where is Jesus? So they get up and they begin to search for him, not just the disciples, but the people who want healing as well. In Capernaum, it's, it's a village just on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. So literally anywhere in Capernaum, you can look out and see the Sea of Galilee. And as you walk very far, it just kind of goes up a mountainside. And so you'd be able to walk around the sea of, uh, or around Capernaum and kind of look around. Where is Jesus? It, you know, at least when I was there, there was no major wilderness or forest. So you, it's pretty open. And so they finally find Jesus. They come to Jesus. And the word is out and Simon speaks up. Now, <laughs> we know Simon to be sort of the leader of this bunch, right? He's speaking up all the time, often putting his foot in his mouth. And um, so we see him sort of, in ways, do this again. Look what, look what Simon says. He says, everyone's looking for you. I don't know if you feel the disdain that comes from that statement, but there's just a little bit of like, what are you doing? Why are you out here? What? This doesn't make any sense, right? Peter has this natural gifting of leadership. He has this natural bravado and strength that God will use at some point, but up until the point God uses, it can off, often get in the way, right? So here, G, here Peter's basically, it feels like rebuking Jesus. Why are you here? Everyone's looking for you. You feel that? It's an interesting moment. Notice how Jesus responds to Simon, verse 38. And he said to them, oh, I'm sorry, Peter, Oh, Peter, I, I didn't mean to slip away. No, it doesn't say that. <laughs> oh, 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 you're right. Let, let's go back down there. They're looking for me. I, I, should, I should go down there. No. Look what it says. And he said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. <laughs> now, for the people pleasers in the audience, which I've at different times in my life have been that person and can tend to fall sometimes into that place, some of us are squirming right now, right? If you really look at this text, because Jesus doesn't make it easy on Peter's rebuke. He doesn't make it easy on the people who are looking for him, right? Almost as if to say, listen, I've got a plan. I've got a purpose, and that's not it. And he doesn't even have to communicate that, right? In my mind, I'm sitting here going, Jesus, you mean you're not going to go meet their expectations? You're not going to cave to Peter's rebuke. You're not even going to uh, give an explanation. Well, Peter, I mean, uh, I'm out here because I'm praying to the Father. I want you to, right? And, and we're, we'll be back here at uh, some point. I'll, 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 you know, that would be what I'd do. I'd be finding excuses to lighten the situation. But he doesn't. I got a friend who's a mentor in my life, not a part of our church. Um, 
and he's an amazing man. And I, there have been so many times where I've, I've asked him to come and speak or I've asked him to uh, uh, be on my podcast or do some things with me. And there have been different times, two or three times where he goes, man, I can't do it. I'm like, okay. Like, I, I'm kind of wanting the explanation. And he doesn't have to offer me one. Right? I mean, he's, I trust that he is a godly man and, and is, is leaning into what the Lord wants for him. And he doesn't need to give me any explanation. There's a, there's a godly confidence in him knowing the vision that God has given him in his life. And he doesn't have to cave to explanations for me. He can just, in, in his own security of who he is, go, I can't, I'm sorry. And that's enough. And that's kind of what we see Jesus doing in this moment. You see that Jesus' priority in this moment is preaching over popularity. Right? This is the first, the first point I want to make this morning. Jesus' priority in his life, the reason I came, it's, it's preaching over popularity. I know people are looking for me, but I don't have to offer an explanation. I'm here for a very specific purpose. I would have given a million excuses, but Jesus is not worried about anybody's expectation or even Peter's uh, rebuke or what Peter's implying. He's focused on his mission. This is what I think God would show us this morning. Men and women who know Jesus, students who know Jesus, Make a decision now that to follow him, it's clear in your heart that you will be on mission, right? That you will be his. Make a decision now that your priority in life is to glorify God and make him known. That's it. So that later on in two weeks when it's <clears throat> deer season or <clears throat> razorback season, I said it, I said it, or any season, tired season, Whatever season, you go, you know what? My priority is to know Jesus and make him known. My decision's already made. Students, when you get in compromising situations as you grow up, as you go to parties, as you, as you get into college, you do things, you're going to have decisions to make just as all of us have to make. Make a decision now that you're going to follow Jesus. Make a decision now. Work through your mind. What's going to happen when somebody offers me this? When I'm set in a situation with, a, with somebody I'm dating that I have to make a choice about this. Make that decision now to serve Jesus, to follow Jesus, to love him. This is exactly what we're seeing. There's a desire for proclaiming the gospel in Jesus' life over what people expect of him, right? I'll never forget um, one of our first, our, he was a, we called him advisory elders at South City. Dr. John David Smith, good friend of mine, just saw him this week. But he told me early on when we started replanting Temple, uh, he said, Drew, you need to be mean about your vision. I remember kind of doing a double take going, I'm not a mean person. I don't, what is that? I'm not sure what that means. And he wasn't saying be mean. He was saying be so confident that God has given you a certain vision. Don't let influence or other things people water down the vision that God has laid on your heart for what he wants to do in his church. That's what he's saying. Be mean about your vision. And, and now I understand what he means. See, Jesus, in that same regard, decided to not let Peter or the demands of people change his time, change his focus, change his priority. He knew now what he had come to do, and that is to glorify God and do his will so set on your heart now what it is that God has called you to do and do it. 
Also, it's important that we look at this statement Jesus makes, right? He says, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. That's an important statement. It's important for us to know why did Jesus come? He lays out through the New Testament multiple reasons where he says very similar statements. We're going to look at them. This is the reason I've come. Second point this morning. Jesus' purpose is to proclaim the gospel message. That's why he came. See, he's making a statement to Simon Peter. He's making a statement to uh, James uh, James and John. He's letting them know here in this moment, yes, I've healed people. Yes, I'm casting out demons, and those are amazing things. That's not why I've come. You see that? That could look like, man, this is amazing. Look at what change you're making. But Jesus says, no, no, if if that was the reason I've come, then we would go back to Capernaum, right? I would listen to you, Peter, and I would turn around and go do what people's expectations of me are. But that's not why I've come. The reason Jesus came is to proclaim the gospel. He says to preach. The word in the Greek is kerygma. It means to proclaim the gospel. And often it's translated in preach. But here's the danger sometimes of always translating it as preach. Sometimes you read preach and you go, oh, I don't have to pay attention to this one. I'm not a preacher. Preachers listen to this and they preach. Jesus the preacher. He preaches. But the Greek word means proclaim the gospel. And what he's called South City Church to do? Proclaim the gospel. Every single believer. Proclaim the gospel. That's what he's called us to do. It should be our priority as well. Jesus says, this is why I've come. Now, the healing, the casting out demons, those things give credibility to the fact that he is Messiah. In fact, prophecies say that that Messiah would have things happen. You'll know Messiah about these things that are going to happen. Right? I love the story of of the man in the temple when Peter and John go to the temple and they're on mission and they heal the, the, uh, the crippled man and he gets up and he just starts jumping around. Like the, the prophecy says, the lame will what? Leap. And that's what he's doing. In other words, do you see the sign in the temple that the lame are leaping? Jesus has come. He is Messiah. So, the, the miracles, the casting out demons are important because they signify Jesus is Messiah. Everyone take note. However, they are not the reason he's come. The reason he's come as Messiah is to let everyone know that he's here to save. He's here to proclaim the gospel that he is God in the flesh, that he is holy, and we are not. Paul says in Romans 3, no one is holy everyone has fallen. Everyone chooses to do wrong things. Everyone is with sin. And when you get a sense of, okay, this is Messiah, God in the flesh, and all the things that he is doing, you begin to see his holiness against the backdrop of our lack of holiness, then it ought to lead us to repentance, right? This is who he is. This is who I am. God, forgive me. I'm unworthy. That is the gospel of Jesus. And he says, this is the reason I've come. There's other places. Look with me quickly. Mark 10, 45. Jesus says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served. Right? This is why I come. Not to be served, but to serve and to give 
his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to proclaim the gospel, to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Look what he says in John 6, 38. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who has sent me. Jesus' purpose is to do the Father's will. What's the Father's will? John 3, 14 through 17, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Two, in, uh, two times in two verses, whoever would believe may be saved. And Jesus himself says, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. It's the reason I've come. And we're beginning to see the purpose. Why is Jesus here? P- proclaim the gospel, to serve to offer himself as a ransom for many, to do the Father's will, to lay his life down on a cross for me and you. Luke 19, 10, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You begin to see, right? You're beginning to understand this is the purpose of why Jesus has come. And so he tells his disciples, and he tells us this morning, this is my mission, this is my purpose, to save sinners. And to proclaim this gospel message that he is Messiah. This is the reason, right? God sent Jesus to live this sinless life, this perfect life, to die in our place, to rise again in victory over death and sin and the grave, and to offer everlasting life to whoever would believe, right? That is the gospel message. It's the very reason Jesus has come. So Jesus makes this incredibly important statement. This is why I've come. To preach. Not to play to their demands, not to play to your demands, Peter. You're not the leader here, pal. Watch. Learn. My reason is the gospel. And then with his life, he lives the gospel before those men. Verse 39, Mark makes a statement, a very short little statement, and we see writers in the New Testament do this sometimes. They, they encapsulate a lot of time in a little short sentence. Verse 39, he says, and he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, sometimes we read scripture and it just kind of goes over our heads and we don't think about the implications here. But I want, I want you to understand, that's a long time. Uh, Jewish historian Josephus estimated that there were um, some 240 towns throughout Galilee, villages. 240 towns. Josephus was a first century historian and military leader. So he, he would have even known the area very well because of his military background. 240 towns. And Mark says he went all through Galilee preaching, healing, casting out demons, right? This would have taken weeks or months for Jesus to do. And Mark encapsulates it in this short thing. One of the things I thought was interesting is we begin to see a pattern in Jesus' life. All the way back from when he went into the wilderness to battle Satan, comes out of the wilderness, begins to take up right where John left off, preaching repentance, repent and believe. 
right? Then he goes and teaches, proclaiming the gospel, casts out a demon of a man, begins to heal. The next morning he gets up, goes back to the Father, right? Comes away from the Father, I have to go proclaim the message of Jesus. Then he goes throughout Galilee and he's healing people and pushing back the darkness of demonic oppression. You see this pattern? And it's a pattern because Mark says he does this for weeks and months all throughout Galilee. The same pattern. Spending time with the Father, preaching, touching broken lives, and pushing back the darkness. And I wonder, is that not a pattern that we ought to have in our lives? Time with the Father, connected to him because we can do nothing apart from being connected to Jesus. And then proclaiming who Jesus is. You know, we want to be a charismatic community. And what that means is a community of believers that proclaim the message of Jesus. Every believer, wherever you go, imagine in your heart and in your mind the effectiveness of our body of believers all over central Arkansas living the gospel, proclaiming the gospel with how we live with our neighbors, proclaiming the gospel with what we speak and how we care for our families and and how we live. What else did he do? Well, he, he touched the lives of marginalized people, those who were sick, diseased, broken. He made a difference in their lives, and we can do the same thing. He pushed back the darkness. We can't heal people, but we know the one who can, right? We, we can cast out demons because God has given us that authority. With Jesus is greater in us than he who is in the world. And so we can walk in that authority of Jesus. And we can see this pattern and we ought to be moved to see the kingdom come in Little Rock and Central Arkansas in my neighborhood just as Jesus was making this difference because of the kingdom of God. We ought to be kingdom citizens. We've talked about this. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done right where I live, right where I work. Begin to change, bring change, substantive change from where I am because of your presence in this world. May your kingdom come. That's what we see in Galilee. And God, please let it be a pattern of something we see in our lives. Here's the third point. And I love this part of the story. Jesus is merciful, so merciful towards a leper. Verse 40 says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Now I was thinking about this and, and looking over this text, and I'm thinking, okay, Mark has summarized the ministry of Jesus all over Galilee and said he's healed and he's casting out demons and he's doing all these things. And then all of a sudden we have a story of a leper. Interesting. What in, my, in the mind of Peter communicating through, uh, to, through Mark, what made him go, oh, we need to tell this story? <laughs> Summarize thousands over here all throughout Galilee, but wait, let's tell this story, right? I don't, you don't think about why you make certain choices, but there's a reason Peter and Mark share this story by the inspiration of God, because it's more than healing. It speaks more of Jesus than just his healing ability. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. I want to kind of just give some context to leprosy. Leprosy was the worst 
disease of the ancient world. It was worse than death. It would have been better just to be murdered than to have leprosy. It was an awful thing. There's no cure. If you had leprosy, uh, you were considered to be cursed. So people looked at you with disdain. You must be cursed of God. Why else would you have this in your life? Why else would you have to deal with this? It says in Leviticus, if you have leprosy, that you must rip your clothes. So you got shreds of clothes. And you must let your hair grow long and, and unkempt. And so now you look like offensive in a way and, and, and unacceptable. You, you're considered a curse to people. You had to leave your home. You had no family. You were alone. You had to stay outside of a town. It was literally death in every possible way. Physically, socially, through your family, spiritually. People considered you a curse and you could not go to worship. You could not go to synagogue or temple. And you had to stay away from a city. And what I want you to see about this story in particular, and you've got to look a little deeper than just what we're reading, is that this man breaks the law because Leviticus 13 and 14 speaks to sort of the protocol of Jews and how they should, uh, if they think they might have leprosy, they go and show it to the priest. And the priest determines whether it's true or not. And then they determine whether they are banished from society, from their family. If they're healed, they have to go back to the priest and make sure that that's the case. And there's a whole protocol, Leviticus 13 and 14. But this man breaks the law. Again, you, you, you weren't supposed to come closer than six feet. And if it was a windy day because it was uh, exchanged through the air, then you, uh, you couldn't come closer than 150 feet if it was a windy day. So this man breaks the law because he comes so close to Jesus, Jesus can touch him, right? You had to cover your mouth, unclean, unclean, and stay away. So you put all this together, the way he looks, the situation in his home and where he lives. And this would have just, he would have been a pariah in that community. And he breaks the law. Luke tells this story as well, and he tells it, he gives a couple of different additional uh, descriptions. He says, this man is full of leprosy. In other words, if he would have approached you, you would have gone, that guy's got leprosy, right? His, on his skin, it is so clear that he has leprosy. He's, he's covered in leprosy. He's full of leprosy. Luke also gives us a description that he falls on his face before Jesus, so yes, he gives a physical description, but he also gives a heart description, doesn't he? Because even though this man breaks the law, there's no question he is desperate. And yet he has faith. And so he falls down before Jesus. He falls down. Says, imploring Jesus, begging Jesus. And he has this little statement of faith when he says, if you will, you can heal me. I love that because what he's saying is, Lord, I don't doubt that you can. I've seen what you've done all around Galilee. It's obvious. You can heal me. The question here is, will you? And so even though he breaks the law in faith and in desperation, he falls before the feet of Jesus. And we see one of the most beautiful things in the ministry of Jesus. Watch what he does. Different than any other spiritual leader, 
any other priest would have said, whoa, 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 you know the law. Stay back. You're condemned. You're cursed. At least six feet, up to 150. Stay away from me. That's not what Jesus does. Look what he does, verse 41. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him. And he said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. What I love about this, if you'll take the time to to get into it, you see that Jesus touched this man before he healed him. You see that? He's trying to communicate something more than, guess what, I can heal everybody. This goes deeper than his ability to heal. This shows his ability to love. This shows his heart of compassion for the marginalized. This shows his lack of fear for any disease, and he reaches out his holy hand and touches the diseased face of a leper, showing his heart of compassion and mercy. And then he says, I will. Right? There's, no, there's no need to say, you're right, I can't heal. He just says, I will. Be clean. Be cleansed. And immediately, of course, this man is cleansed. Immediately, he is healed. No one has touched this man for who knows how long. No family, no friends. And yet the touch of Jesus communicates not only to him, the heart of love, but to the disciples and everybody who's watching this, this unbelievable value of I love people. I love broken, ostracized, cursed people. Beautiful image of our Savior. Jesus could have just said, you're healed from 150 feet or six feet. Whoop, healed. Way to go. Thanks, man. Right? He could have done that without, without a question. He doesn't. Jesus chooses to touch the leper, to touch the untouchable, if you will, before he heals him. He responds to the man's faith, and he says, I will be cleansed. So Jesus here again, he's showing his authority over all sickness. Again, in the ancient world, even leprosy. See, next to death, this is the worst thing you could have. Probably worse than death. Many uh, theologians say it was this miracle that set Jesus on fire. I mean, this, it was this miracle that made him so popular, so famous in, throughout Galilee and, and this area. Because people saw something they'd never seen before. Nobody's been healed of leprosy immediately. The love of Jesus for desperate people who have faith to believe will always be met with, I will. Does that mean I'll be healed of my disease? Maybe not. But he will love you. He told Paul, right? Paul said, I prayed three times, God, take this thorn away from my flesh, whatever that was. And the Lord said, no. Sometimes God says no, but then he adds, my grace is sufficient for you. So when we come to the Lord, sick and broken, in need, 
of hope, of healing, of encouragement, of faith. And we believe and we come even in desperation, even in sinfulness, even in failure. The Lord says, I will. When you come to Jesus in failure and faith, I believe he's always willing to cleanse and forgive. Look at verse 43 with me. Another piece of the story here. It says, and Jesus sternly charged him. We don't, we don't see that a lot. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So we see Jesus do something that he's been doing. He's been saying to the demons, right? Have you wondered about this? Why does Jesus keep telling people to be quiet? Sh shouldn't he let everybody know, I'm here. Tell, tell everybody you know. So he tells every demon, be quiet. When they say, you're the son of God, he says, be quiet. Right? Or when he heals somebody and he says, be quiet. So this guy sternly charges him, be quiet. Be quiet. I, I wondered about this. One of the theologians said, you know, Jesus didn't want the news of his miracles coming from demons and Pharisees. Pharisees were the guys who, who dressed up and they walked around and they acted bigger than they were. And they always told people, I'm fasting. This is the reason I look this way. Or watch me give my offering in the offering plate because I'm so righteous. Jesus wanted to be removed from, from just being uh, recognized by only demons or showy Pharisees. Jesus wanted his humility to be known. Jesus wanted people to see him for who he was as Messiah and Savior, not just some magician, not just some healer, right? And so all these people come to Capernaum pressing against and wanting to see him, and Jesus says, let's go on to the next towns. I want people to know the reason I came, that their greatest sickness, and I would tell you this morning in this room or watching online, your greatest sickness is sin. Your greatest problem is your separation from God. And yet Jesus is willing to save and heal. That's the reason he came. Jesus wanted people to see him as Messiah. He also wanted this man to uh, follow the law. So he says, listen, there's protocol for this in the law. Go show uh, yourself to the priests. And show them what has happened, right? There's, this is a, there's a process that we have in the law. Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. So he's wanting to, to keep this. And what happens? Verse 45. When he went out, but he went out and he began to talk freely about it. Couldn't keep the secret, could he? And he spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So this man coming to Jesus sins because he got within a couple of feet. He receives healing from Jesus and leaves Jesus disobedient again. 
I thought, man, that reminds me of me, right? Coming to Jesus in my sin and yet still struggling with sin. Thankful for his grace and his goodness. I want to mention one last thing before we go, before we finish our time. And this has just kind of blown my mind this week, and it's such a beautiful picture. Jesus trades places with the leper here. But not only with the leper, with me, the sinner, and you. See, the man goes out, he can't keep the secret. Mark says that it's because of this man sharing what Jesus said to be quiet about that Jesus can't, can no longer go into these towns. Jesus can no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places. See, that's exactly what happened with the leper. You couldn't go into town. You had to stay in desolate places. You had to be cut off from society and family. Even considered a curse. See, this man who was healed, this leper, he had the privilege of going back into town and sharing with anybody he wanted to. He could get a warm meal now. He could get the love of his family. He could hold his children. He could be with his family again. And yet Jesus now has traded places with the leper and is out in desolate places alone. Do you see that? This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In our sinfulness, Christ died for us. In that man's disobedience, Jesus said, still, I will. And in our disobedience, in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, Jesus says, I will. Whosoever can come, even in your sinfulness, I will cover your sinfulness. Even in your disobedience, Christ has traded places with us. Right? He takes our sin and our disease on himself. Becoming a curse for us, Galatians 3 says. The Bible says that, that anyone who hangs on a cross is cursed. And so Paul says to the Galatians, Jesus then becomes a curse for us. Exchanging his holiness, his righteousness, his connection to the Father with us. There's a moment in Jesus' crucifixion, he's giving his life, and the Bible says that God turned his back on his son for the first time in eternity. Why would he do that? Because he traded places with you. That's why. He turned his back on his only son so that you would never have to feel that feeling. But instead, even in your sinfulness, Jesus loving you. Jesus preaching the gospel to you through this word and now this morning. Repent and believe. Understand his holiness, your unworthiness, and what he was willing to do. Trading places for us on the cross so that we might know him.
Daniel Aiken is a uh, commentarian, writer, seminary professor. In his book, Exalting Jesus in Mark, he says, this picture of substitution is the heart of the gospel. It is why Jesus came. He will take on himself our sin, our sorrow, and our shame. And in return, he gives us his forgiveness, his holiness, and his righteousness. Praise the Lord. What an exchange. Friend, this morning, what we see in these nine verses is that the mission and purpose of Jesus is clear, and it ought to be clear in my life and in yours. To know Jesus and to make him known. The mission of Jesus is to proclaim the gospel. That ought to be what we live for. It ought to be the worldview of our lives. And yet we also get to see the mercy and compassion of Jesus. We see him love. We see him trade places with a leper and with us. And the word of God says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Do you know him this morning? Look right here just for a second. Do you understand that exchange? Do you get it? Because there's not a more important conversation to be had in all the world. And that is, do you understand this great exchange? That God loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for you and for me, even in your brokenness even in your unworthiness, even in your sinfulness. This is what Christ has done for you and for me. And the Holy Spirit of God, the Bible tells us, draws us to the Father. So I, I would just ask this question now. Just sit for a moment. Look here. Is God drawing you? Is the Spirit of God drawing your heart to know him? If you don't know him, trust him now. Say what the leper said, Lord, I, I know you can. Would you save me, will you? Would you change me? I repent, I am a sinner, I am broken, I am in need of you to change my heart and transform my life. Would you say that today? Because for those of us that have made that choice, that have sought him, for forgiveness and redemption. He's traded places with us. This glorious exchange, taking away our sin and shame and giving us his righteousness. Removing us from the separation of God and moving us towards him. No longer enemies, but reconciled with the Father. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for this beautiful exchange. God, thank you for this unbelievable gift of mercy and grace. I love this story to give clarity to what you were about, why you came, Lord. Thank you, God, to help us see this was the most important thing that could be done, is to preach and live the gospel. And Lord, with your life, with every word, you live the gospel. With your death, you gave us life. With your resurrection, you defeated sin, God. And because of that gospel, we can now know you and be drawn to you and be forgiven by you. God, I pray that you would also help us to understand compassion to the marginalized. Understand compassion to people who need you. 
And I pray, God, that you would move on our hearts to find ways to touch their lives and find ways to push back the darkness and to even live in this pattern we've seen in your life, Jesus. God, is there anybody here that doesn't know you? I pray that you would move, that you would draw, that you would do what this message cannot do, that you would do what what singing cannot do, church cannot do, only the Spirit of God can do. You draw people, God, to yourself. Lord, would you draw someone now if they don't know you to this altar? I'll be waiting. I'll help explain. I'll pray with them, God, but this is your work. And I pray that you would do it in lives of people, either watching or present today, that we might know your grace and your mercy, Lord. That like the leper, we would humbly, desperately be willing to come, unashamed, fall before you, Lord, and say, save me, help me, heal me. That is our prayer. We give you this time. We pray, God, that you would meet us here, that you would help us to sense, God, that you're doing something in our lives and give us the courage to obey and follow you, whatever that is. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.